Mark Graben and Jamie Flinchball are two guys drinking whiskey while chatting about lean ideas, experiences, and news. Let's hope they hold their liquor because they're not holding back on sharing their opinions. It's time for Lean Whiskey, Lean Talk with a Fun Spirit. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 17 of Lean Whiskey. I'm Mark Graben, joined as almost always by Jamie Flinchbaugh. And uh, we, you can see we've got uh, another special guest today. It's our first episode with three people. Jamie will tell you about that. Yeah. So how's, how's it going, Mark? I'm good. Good. Yeah. So we've, we've, uh, we've occasionally done these, uh, uh, you have a guest host, I have a guest host just to mix it up and have some fun. Um, and so uh, I was planning in, on heading to Indianapolis and uh, in March, uh, late March actually, and uh, uh, Jim Hunsinger and I were, at, were planning to meet at Lean Frontiers and do an episode. Um, and we, we actually got some of David Myers Glens Creek uh, whiskey and had it ready. And, and then, you know, uh, things happened. <laughs> Yeah. So I, I didn't go to India in March. Uh, we, we thought about just figuring out when we could make the trip and then thought, hey, why don't we just why don't we just do a three person uh, lean whiskey? So so that all got canceled. Um, but we have a guest, Jim Hunsinger of Lean Frontiers. Uh, how's it going, Jim? Good, good. Thank you uh, both for letting me be a part of this. Looking forward to it. As you mentioned, looking was looking forward to, forward to it at the end of March, but yeah, things do happen. So um, I won't go through everything today, so I'll save it for when you guys do get a chance to come here and visit. We'll have some of the, some of the actually we're together as well. Yeah, yeah I, I, we, we both know, we've both known Jim for a long time, so it's good that we didn't have to fight over who got to uh, co-host with you, Jim. That's right. Yeah, I, I've, I've known Jim, uh, this will be an interesting test, we didn't actually talk about this, but I've I've known Jim since uh, at least the very first Lean Accounting Summit That's right. um, in Detroit uh, that I, I came to speak at. And I can, I can still remember in Dearborn and still remember some of the speakers. I know I met Jean Cunningham, who recently retired there. I always loved her. So I know that's how far you and I go back. So how far back do you and Mark go? Oh, gosh. Um, Mark, if I need your help on this, I... <laughs> I can't remember if it was at a conference or doing a podcast. We've done several podcasts over the years. I think, uh, yeah, I mean, it's probably at least 10 years. I can Google. We we probably did a podcast or two before we ever crossed paths at an event. But when was your first Lean Accounting Summit again? Uh, 2005. Yeah, as Jamie said, 15 years ago. Yeah. (laughs) Time goes by quick. It does. Yeah, that was quite a long time ago. Um, and uh, yeah, I've been out to your offices and we've done some things. I, I helped uh, your your very first Lean HR Summit and yeah. uh, the very first Lean Product Development Summit and, and others uh, over the years. So, yeah, you've, um, you've, you've participated, keynoted. Mark, you've, um, I think, at least a couple times, I think you've keynoted as well. Yeah. Thank you for those invitations. Um, well, I've attended a Lean Coaching Summit in Austin. I was at a Lean Management slash, or is a Lean Accounting slash Lean HR combo conference, I think. 
um, what might have been it's lean, lean accounting, lean management, and and now lean HR. Yeah, HR came in a little bit later. Yeah, I, I, I did look up the, the first podcast we did together, Jim, was January 2007. Oh, wow. wow. So look at that. That was on training within industry. And then we did one in November of that year about the Lean Accounting Summit. Okay. And a couple okay. more since. Yeah, as we've talked, yeah, time goes by quick. Yeah. Well, and, and to the idea of, you know, uh, you know, as Mark and I started this whole thing of, you know, talking shop over a drink, right? Uh, Jim, when you, you for a long time had these uh, thought leader dinners, which I think started out as just let's meet at the bar and talk shop. Yeah. And, and it turned into a slightly more formal uh, affair, if you will, uh, with the dinner and sometimes even offsite and, uh, uh, people brought spouses, but it started with just, Hey, uh, those who are coming to speak, let's meet at the bar and talk shop, uh, during the conference. Yeah. Cause a lot of people, some people knew each other. They personally met before a lot of people knew each other, but hadn't met before. Some people didn't know each other. So it was a way just to let people meet and get to know each other a little better. Yeah, no, I thought those were great. And you know, you and you know, you as a curator of, of speakers and content, uh, and then Mark with his, uh, pr- prolific podcasting and, and blogging, you know, kind of in many ways get to meet, you know, I'll, I'll say a broader spectrum of the, yeah. the lean community than, than my practices have allowed. Uh, so I was, I always enjoyed those. I, I always looked for um, who do I get to go have a deep conversation with at, at one of those dinners or, or, or bar events. So. Yeah. They evolved. Like you said, they originally just kind of meeting get together. They evolved. We sometimes would do something a little more formal but when we even got away from that, people still wanted to get together just, just to be able to talk with each other, chat, catch up on what's going on, have some deeper conversations and so forth. So it's yeah. kind of flowed and evolved over time. Awesome. Well, that's, that's kind of what, what we do here, uh, both the ebb and flow and the, and the uh, talk shop over drinks, except uh, uh, on, this, on this program, you don't get to drink whatever you want. It's uh, lean whiskey. Uh, <laughs> I, I did have a, I had a, a, a guest host who is a gin drinker. So that was actually a gin episode. That was so there's one, an exception to every rule. One detour. Yes. 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 Uh, uh, one I was probably not prepared to make myself. So, <laughs> so, um, you know, we've, we've all been, I, you know, I know I haven't traveled in quite a long time and, and, uh, we'll talk more about this in your world, Jim, but, uh, uh, you know, used to travel a lot. Mark and I used to travel probably, probably more. Yeah, probably more, um, yes. And I haven't traveled since early March, uh, but Mark, you've had, you've had a few opportunities to travel since. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I'd call it opportunity. <laughs> fair, fair. Um, yeah, poor choice of words. I, well, sorry. I, I haven't traveled for work since I flew home from a client on March 11th, but, you know, with the, the coast-to-coast relocation that we talked about, Last time, um, mm-hmm. you know, I was in LA. I'm actually I'm I'm back in in Texas this week before going back to LA again. But you know I've had to fly a couple of times due to the relocation. Um, occasionally by choice, and every time I do it, I wonder why did I make that choice. Um, but I tell you, um, I, I chose the time I flew from LA to Orlando and back. I chose Delta Airlines. I'm normally frequent flyer American Airlines. 
and had an episode in late May. It was actually after we did episode 16 where you know, I had a guy next to me basically refused to wear his mask the entire flight. And so maybe, you know, there's a question there about, you know, if something in a workplace, if we want to extend the topic is required and leadership isn't stepping in when there's a very obvious violation of a standard, what do you do? But I do want to give praise to Delta because at least compared to American and and United, they're only filling the planes 60%. Science is still out whether that's really meaningful or not. But the, the, the thing I wanted to talk about and bring up for a little bit of chat was the, the thing I was impressed about with the flight attendant on Delta. It was fairly consistent without being overly scripted, but the flight attendant made an announcement, not just that flight attendant, uh, that, that wearing masks were a policy or required. She said something to the effect of explaining why. She said, I wear the mask to protect you. I ask you to wear the mask to protect me. And I thought that was really powerful. Yeah. Of, of, of Jim, you know, I'll throw it to you for a second, you know, training within an industry exactly emphasizes explaining why, right? Yeah, to get, get people involved and engaged and committed to explain the reason why, just not giving out some dictator, just this is the way it is. But there's a reason behind it. And uh, a valid reason is best as you know at that point in time. Yeah, and, and Patrick, I know one of our, our, our favorite uh, TWI experts uh, did a a hand washing yeah. of YouTube video on um, on on demonstrating TWI uh, uh, using hand washing and his daughter, who was a very willing yeah. <laughs> victim um, in that process. But there, there's you know, in addition to the why, there's an awful lot in the in how you deliver the message, um, and, and and I think that's that's key, not just about masks, right? But just in general, you deliver a tough message. And using the mask example, I know there's a store near here that said, you know, you don't have to wear a mask, but if you choose not to wear a mask, we we ask you to strip down all your clothing and come in naked. And of course, you know, they don't mean that, but it's a fun way to say, please, please do this. Um, but the, the why becomes a big deal, right? So how you ask the relationship between the person making the request and the person you're asking. And, and TWI makes a, a big deal, not just of the why, but also of the, uh, of the relationship and how, mm-hmm. how the person relates to the person. Yeah, which are, which are two, two, two strong components of making that, making that successful. So they understand, and then as you said, to build that relationship, because that's, uh, well, need me for that case, uh, Mark, except the airlines, the airline ideally wants to build a relationship with their passengers because they want them to uh, not only have a pleasant time on that trip, but remember them for the next time they come is, yeah, things went pretty well. They were pretty reasonable on, you know, with these circumstances. So sure, I don't mind flying them. The, um, the one other thing that comes to mind, um, a colleague of mine from, uh, from Kinexus, um, flew, um, I think, to go visit some family. Uh, and he was telling us the other day that the person next to him had the mask on, but it was only covering their mouth. And, you know, I think there's an opportunity to explain a key point when it's called a face covering. The key point is to cover both your nose and mouth. Maybe we could call it a nose and mouth covering because um, it's not covering your whole face. That's a mouthful, I guess, pun intended, but <laughs> it is. It is, but it's it's um, 
Right. If you look at the data on how much uh, how much you can expel when speaking, when yelling, when coughing, or when sneezing, right? I mean, boy, sneezing is the is is the ultimate. Right. It's a it's a mini explosion. And mm-hmm. again, those whys become a become a big deal. Right. If if you were if you want to do it with a purpose, you got to know why. And we so often ask for compliance without people understanding why they're doing something. And that's why I think that's one of the reasons TWI has been so successful uh, at, at training folks is, is that component where I, I respect you enough to explain why I'm asking you to do something. Yeah. 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 It's important. And it makes me still think going back to your case, Mark talking about on the aircraft is not an understanding of why of just protecting the people near you, but on an airplane, you're in a kind of in a big can, so you kind of have not only the proximity, but you have the containment factors in there as well, too. So it even becomes even a little more important. Yeah, and I, I think that's a you know probably an additional factor, right? So if 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 people are there and they they can't, you know, I, I always look at can I remove myself from the situation that I don't like? like if people want to do with their own thing, that's fine. But can I remove myself? Once you're in a plane, you can't, right? You're yeah. you're locked and loaded, uh, uh, yeah. so to speak, strapped in uh, for the long haul. So I didn't bring a parachute. <laughs> nope, nope, no parachutes, and it's a problem if you try that. Um, so uh, I don't know if we need a why for this, but um, you know, we 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 call it lean whiskey for a reason. Um, we we like our we enjoy our whiskey. I guess that's the only why we need. Um, so I think for the first time, I'm almost certain for the first time, uh, we're actually having the same drink and it, it, it just so happens that, you know, when Jim and I were preparing for meeting up in person to do actually what would have been the first, uh, in-person lean whiskey, um, uh, we got a couple bottles of, of our friend David Myers, Glens Creek, uh, distillery whiskey. And um, so Jim still has that. Uh, and it just so happens that Mark and I have the same bottles. Um, so we thought, why not give that a shot? Um, well, we're going to sip it, but we're, we're not going to do shots. That's, that's fair. Yeah, we've, <laughs> I thought we were past doing the puns. <laughs> the is, pun. is, uh, and David was nice enough to send these to us and actually – signed it to us as well so yeah he's big on the signing uh which is which is great um Ah, and you always get the you always get the bottle so um now i have the newer bottle um oh yeah so this this is a this is actually you know basically like an eagle rare bottle um and and you know david doesn't have one bottle that he puts a bunch of different spirits in so um so what we're starting with today, we're actually going to do two pours. Another first. This is a show of first, man. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we're going to do two pours, two different, two different Glens Creek uh, drinks. But we're going to start with the Cuervito Vivo. So all three of us are going to get get a, a, a drink of this, um, which uh, you know, basically, you know, and he's he, Glens Creek is relatively i'll say so small relative to its host right so it sits mm-hmm. on the on the site of the old old crow distillery that shut down in the 80s and their entire distillery is basically in the original machine shop um 
because the the distillery itself is by no means safe uh, to run a business out of. Um, but this is uh, this is basically the same mash bill of the original Old Crow. And uh, when I say the original, so most people listening to this uh, probably aren't old enough, including myself, no. to remember the old Old Crow. But long ago, Old Crow was a top shelf, and it I think it deteriorated with a couple of stages reading the history over time. But it definitely deteriorated when it got bought by Jim Beam and became bottom shelf whiskey. Uh, so this was Jim's effort at recreating, um, to a degree, uh, Old Crow uh, Distillery, good bourbon. Yeah, and, and maybe you know now that we're experimenting with the uh, the, the three way call, well that's a dated term, but um, we'll, we'll maybe get David to join us. I don't know how his Wi Fi is at the distillery. Not good. Not good. Yeah, I don't remember it being he has to step outside to, to use his phone to come <laughs> through. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's a good story of um, trying to recreate an old recipe. It's kind of cool that David has done that. Well, and I love, you know, when you talk about standards, right? Uh, you can't just necessarily follow a recipe. You've got to you've also got to know what good looks like on the other end. And so they've used um, the last supervisor to manage the distillery. Oh, really? To help. And, 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 and basically his, uh, uh, his nose, as they say on the website, his nose uh, has been some of the guide to help recreate uh, this Corvito Vivo, which, you know, for those that haven't done the translation, translates to live crow. Uh, which is, uh, you know, it's, it's born again, if you will, uh, the original old crow, uh, in a, in a, in a, in a great tasting, uh, to bourbon. So, yeah. um, so, so, uh, I'm, I'm curious, uh, so Mark, for starters, we'll start with you and then maybe Jim can weigh in. What, what do you, what do you think of Corvito Vivo? I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm not a good tasting notes guy. I had a little uh, small gathering of a couple of friends here to do some whiskey tasting last night. One of those friends is a um, level two wine sommelier. Wow. So he's the one who can always pull out. I, I'm, I, you know, I, I, I always want him to taste stuff because he can pull out words to describe what, what he's smelling. Um, I mean, this one, this one's still relatively new to me, which I know is not a helpful description for the viewer or the listener, um, it's lighter in color compared to the uh, the OCD premium, the OCD number five that I'm that I'm more familiar with. But yeah, I mean, this it's um, um, you know, a relatively light um, bourbon with you know a little bit of spice to it, mm-hmm. for lack of better words. Yeah, what do you think, Jim? Yeah, I uh, and I actually. I guess I was disciplined enough to keep these closed and sealed until today. Yes, you were. Good for you. <laughs> but I did open one up to give it a try before he, before he came on earlier today. And as I tried it, um, uh, I kind of, as, as Mark said, kind of got the, the, the good, strong whiskey taste as it, as it went in my mouth. But with that, I felt the, as I swallowed, it was a smooth 
flow down my throat. So strong, good, strong, I guess, bourbon taste, but then a good flow down, down as I swallowed. So, so I enjoyed it. Yeah. I enjoyed it. And actually, I, uh, this is actually five years ago as Dave was, Dave was starting up. He brought a couple little test bottles of a couple different, uh, bourbons he had going. Uh, so I, I still got bottles of my test of a couple little sample bottles as well. So I guess, I guess this would be my third one I've tried of, uh, his whiskeys. Awesome. Yeah, I, I, I've, uh, you know, now OCD number five is probably if I had to, if I had to end up with a single daily drinking bourbon, that would probably be it. Um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a little pricey compared to some, some of the, the bottles you can buy for an everyday drinker, but it is, it is so good. Um, and, and this is, this is lighter, uh, I don't think it has, you know, as much richness, but it's also really easy drinking mm-hmm. yeah. and it's not just, you know, strong on the front, weak on the finish or vice versa. It's, it's kind of good all the way through. Um, and I'm, I'm like, you know, I'm not really great at tasting notes, but, but, but I enjoy it. It has, you know, sort of just enough complexity um, and, and, uh, and, and quality for sure that I, I, I really enjoy Enjoy a drink of this, and I'm very unusually on them on the rocks tonight, just because of the the temperatures uh, being a bit bit high. But um, uh, so yeah, so we'll we'll share. Uh, I know we've talked about David's distillery before, so we won't belabor that point. We'll come back to that topic, but uh, um, the closest thing to actual lean whiskey that we can find for sure, from based on its founder. Um, I don't know if you guys have, have you guys, either one of you had the opportunity to visit him there? Yep. Yeah, have. we both have. Yep. Oh gosh, I'm behind then. It's yeah, on my pocket list. Well, it's you're fun. closer. You're here. Yeah, you're a driveway. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've, I've been there and uh, got the long tour and even just hung out while he gave a tour to some people who stopped in and uh, sampled, I don't know, Every every different variety he has, at least close to it. Signed a barrel, um, walked nice. around the grounds for a little while. It's 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 really cool place to visit the 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 uh, the ruins, if you will, of the old old Crow Distillery are just a sight to see. They really are. I'll definitely get there, and uh, and I've told him told him several times that keep the door open. I I, I will make it there. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he always keeps the door open. That's for sure. He'll uh, uh, he'll be there. So, so um, yeah, let's talk some lean stuff. Um, so uh, you know, as we already kind of covered, you know, Jim, you were, you know, we we kind of met you through your your summits, and you and I met at the very first uh, lean accounting summit. Um, I think you knew I was one of the. I don't want to call it a pioneer because I, I, I I'm by no means an expert, but definitely one of the first people to start writing about it uh, yeah. and, and talking about it. Um, but you guys are kind of in the, in the conference business. <laughs> um, it, I know it's broader than that, but uh, you know, it's not a big shock to everybody, but conferences uh, are, are one of the most hard hit uh, industries in, in the country today. Um, so you guys have been sort of, adjusting and pivoting pretty hard. So, you know, what, what have you had to deal with as, as you've faced this, the, the pandemic? Yeah, we, and, and one thing I guess we like to say is, uh, yeah, obviously we do 
conference and things related around it. We like to always say like, we kind of build communities within lean community. And certainly from the conference standpoint, that's important because to us, it isn't, it isn't just about the conference to have a conference, although certainly content is very critical and important, but it's really about getting the people together. I mean, that's a huge part of thing and something very important to us. And people get together, thought leaders, uh, practitioners, academics, and just sharing and learning from each other. Um, so as we went through this process, as this happened, we, we tried to approach it very cautiously and two main things. One is, like I said, just trying to get people together is so important to us. We wanted to make sure if we, we couldn't do it that we didn't do it for, you know, appropriate reasons. So we, we really, on a weekly, if not really daily basis, just watched how things were going, how they were going to progress, because things certainly were changing quickly. And uh, so we held off as long as we felt we could before we'd have to make a decision to switch virtually. And uh, we did that. We were doing it really a summit at a time. As the next one came up, we'd watch that. And we got, okay, well, we I need, do need to convert that. And same thing. So um, it was really just a matter of watching that to make sure we were watching what was going on to make sure we we're getting feedback from presenters and um, uh, our attendees to make sure we made the right decision at the right time. And also that uh, in a time that we felt we can transition, you know, adequately, adequately and do a good job with it. So um, all that's been important to us. Um, just the transition part and how we approached it as well. So. Yeah. And, and I know, uh, you know, that you, you've been very, especially early on, very active in putting webinars out there, supporting the community, yeah. which, you know, yeah. is, is, a, is a non-revenue source. You know, you've got a, you've got a team, you've got an employee, but you, you went, you know, pretty hard, pretty early on just kind of providing content for people. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I got to participate in one of those uh, webinars. Yeah. And anyway, something too is just not not only to again because the content is certainly important because we we can be subject matter specific. But again, part of it was just how can we you know if we can't physically get together, how can we keep people engaged and together as best we can with the circumstances? So though again, those two same type of things were kind of driving us as we did the webinars uh, through that process. Awesome. So what we what we thought we'd do tonight is um, talk about some of the summits that you've switch to virtual and and I kind of I kind of selected a couple of keynotes out of those summits um, and, and you know we can talk a little bit about the content that they plan to present I know we don't have their their presentation and certainly I don't steal their thunder but we know what their topics are or at least what they're uh, what they're known for um, so a little preview at the same time uh, as we tend to do just talk shop and uh, uh, wax on poetically about uh, our, our various opinions. Uh, so I grabbed a couple of these uh, these summits. Uh, the one you have coming up uh, quite soon, uh, later yes. this month, is the Lean Coaching Summit, which has, I assume, grown quite well. Um, yeah. you, know, you had uh, uh, July 27th, four keynotes, um, uh, unique breakouts, et cetera. So... Um, so I, I kind of grabbed a, a keynote that I found interesting. Uh, Deandra Wardell, I think I got her last name right, uh, yeah. Wardell. But yeah. Deandra, um, I, I thought was pretty cool. So why don't you tell us uh, tell us more about um, tell about her and her her keynote? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of tell a story about her uh, when I f uh, first met her, and uh, which 
rolls into what she's going to be talking about in her keynote is uh, DeAndre came and I want, I think I want to say it's the, maybe the, the Cotta summit. And I just happened to meet her and get talking to her and just kind of asked her how she was, uh, you know, using Cotta and, you know, just trying to learn a little bit about her, but she told me a story um, about, and she does. So she's, she's in corporate kind of the people development HR aspect is kind of her background and where she's at now. But uh, her actual story she told me was not about what she's doing corporately or in, in business, but she said she's a part of these, she's involved in these women's groups of, uh, that they have. And one of their objectives is several years back was to meet, get together and put together at the beginning of the year, what are their objectives for the next year? What do they want to accomplish? How do they want to grow? What do they you know, want to do? So they got together, talked about it. They put together plans and all that. And, um, and then they got back together later in the year. And lo and behold, DeAndre was the only one that accomplished pretty much all of her objectives. And everybody's like, we didn't really do so well. What, what, was, what did you do? So basically what she did is she used the, 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 the Kata methodology in practice, setting a challenge and goals and, you know, the plan to check act cycles and all that. To, to meet her her goals, you know, whatever challenges, how to get over it. And she said, went through that process. Well, they were so impressed by the fact, not just she got, you know, one or two of them done, but got them all done. They go, well, you got to teach us that. So essentially that's what she did. So she got them back together for the next year, taught them the process, taught them, you know, the, the improvement kata. And, uh, and then, let, you know, I shouldn't say let them go. They would meet periodically, and she would help coach them using the coaching kata to get through it to do that. And she said by the end of the year, the uh, the majority of the ladies with the majority of their goals, many of them, all of them, got them accomplished. So, like, this is this is fantastic. So she's she's been doing that now for several several years and expanded that out. Um, she does it with a group, I think, at least one group at her church. I think she has, again, several ladies' groups she does it with as well. So she just told me that story. I just thought, that's just a, that's just a great, it's a great story. It's a great story utilizing things we do in, you know, business and industry outside of that from a personal standpoint, you know, the personal success she's been able to do with it, but how she's shared that and helped these other ladies um, get that personal success as well. So she's going to, you know, she'll talk about other things as well. And she has other good stories, but I just, I was thoroughly impressed by that story. That's a really cool story. Yeah. yeah. And that, you know, prove it through results. Right. And that's kind of what she did first. And, uh, and, and then just, you know, ran from there. That's, that's super cool. Yeah. And, and on top of it, she's a sweetheart of a lady. So she's a great gal as well. So that's all the great attributes that uh, she's going to give a, a great talk. And also too, I guess one other thing about her, she's actually local here in the Indianapolis area as well too. So she's a neighbor as well. Oh, cool. It's um, funny that, you know, that, that you're singing DeAndre's praises. Um, I talked to her, we did a Zoom call, just a private one-on-one the other day, because I had been impressed by things she was posting on LinkedIn and really, uh, really enjoyed um, having the chance to meet her. And um, one thing that we're going to do, I'd sort of offered up because she collaborates sometimes uh, with Karen Ross and uh, a group that, you know, kind of informally or formally calls themselves, you know, women, women of lean network. They have a LinkedIn group and through the lean enterprise Institute website, there's kind of overlap group lean women sensei. But what I offered to uh, Deandra was uh, a version of 
what's sometimes called a blog takeover, or, you know, there's a social media takeover. I'm calling it a blog handover because she's not taking anything. But in the spirit of giving exposure um, to different voices and, and different people, basically my blog is hers for a week to publish what she and some of her colleagues um, want to write. So um, I'm, I'm glad you're collaborating with Deandra as well, Jim. Yeah, and, and uh, we, we, we enjoy her. We've done um, a number of things with her. And one thing one thing we are going to do, we're actually going to have her come by here by our studio and do some recording with her. Just it's got obviously like many other things, it's got delayed for the time being that we're looking forward to a good time, hopefully here this year yet, that we can get her in here and do some, uh, let her talk about some of these things that she's doing again from uh, from the personal level standpoint, because she's certainly somebody that's, again, not only using it in her work and her career, but using it outside of that effectively. Well, it's, yeah, I, I've seen, I mean, I've seen her LinkedIn posts as well, and she, she brings a ton of energy, which is yeah. just fun to see. Um, I, I have to acknowledge her glasses. Her yeah. glasses game is, yeah. is really solid. Um, <laughs> As somebody who enjoys uh, switching up their glasses, um, uh, really impressed. But, but um, you know, there hasn't been a lot of people who talk about applying this in in nonprofits, in church groups, and things like that. And 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 I think that's interesting. Um, you know, obviously, nonprofits I, I think have a different lean journey than most organizations. Um, and, you know, partly it's, it's you know, they, they very rarely are on a lean journey, but they might use some lean stuff, yeah. uh, for lack of a better word, to help their cause. And, and I think that's an interesting challenge because, you know, the idea is you, you can be a leader in any field and use lean. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean you have to have a, a lean journey, a lean budget, a lean resource or any of that. Uh, it's just about how you approach the work you have in front of you. How do you approach yeah. it? How do you improve it? I mean, I did the only nonprofit experience I've had um, was an opportunity to do some pro bono work with um, Catholic charities in Fort Worth. So my wife and I had been involved and then was having a conversation and got introduced to somebody who had taken an early retirement out of telecommunications and was basically their director of quality improvement. And so we talked and they had me come in and do some Kaizen training and they were doing, you know, Kaizen style process improvement in a couple of um, different areas of Catholic charities. Because when you start engaging people and asking them, do you have ideas about how to make your work less frustrating and um, do, you know, just uh, be able to provide more value to, um, to their clients. That's powerful. And um, the, the other thing, you know, it was interesting, and I'm long overdue. I should dig up um, the document and blog about it. They had um, a really impressive document that actually connected a number of Bible verses and elements. I'm not Catholic, but elements of Catholic faith that were sort of their their argument for why they had an obligation to practice continuous improvement within that Catholic Charities division. So I thought that was a really powerful connection that they made for their own purpose and inspiration. Yeah, I, th- I think purpose is, you know, one of the things that makes nonprofits, I don't want to say unique, just different, is purpose is much more clear often. Yeah. 
right? To that point. Uh, but the, the how mm-hmm. is much more varied, right? And, 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 it's, and it's not just metric driven, right? Because it is much more purpose driven. I, I spent uh, the last three years on the board of a, of a nonprofit. And, you know, I, I brought a lot of lean to the table without ever really using the word lean. We, we talked about scalability, we simplified things and took out waste. We, we built standards for how certain things would be done. Um, uh, a lot of them, actually, quite a few. Um, and, and ultimately, we, we, we doubled, more than doubled the reserve uh, protection of the, the nonprofit, quadrupled the staff, um, uh, quadrupled the profits that were able to be reinvested. Uh, and so there was a lot that happened, but it, it was just around bringing a lean lens to the problems at hand. And, and I think people sometimes overestimate the, the benefit of having a lean, lean journey versus simply bringing lean, uh, a lean lens or a lean thought process to the problem at hand. I think one thing you brought up is that is, is, um, is important and certainly more driven with the nonprofits is that purpose. Because usually most of them are created out of some purpose they had. So they create an organization to try to uh, meet that purpose. And I think a lot of times um, uh, organizations for profit could, and some will try to do that, try to focus a little more on purpose, you know, purpose of why they're there, um, try to give, try to almost like a, a potion, deploy that purpose down through the organization. If you see some organizations that are um, not nonprofit, but otherwise that are more successful, a lot of times they have a better disbursement of what is the purpose and why we're here. One one that pops in my head is Menlo Innovation. They certainly, people there, I mean, it's not a real large organization, but still people there really get the purpose of why they're there. Right. Yeah, purpose becomes pretty pretty powerful if you can connect the work to the purpose, so. Yes. So uh, uh, carrying forward, uh, you then have what's become a, a week and not just a summit, a single summit. Um, but the, well, the lean accounting and management uh, slash HR and people uh, uh, kind of multi, uh, multi-track uh, summit, uh, which, which recently, uh, more recently switched to being virtual. Um, and uh, I believe, is that in September, Jim? Yeah, that's uh, yeah on September. Um, and actually, I don't have the, the dates in front of me at the moment. I should have, but in September, we've traditionally had it in September. We've had it for a few years in October, but in September, and um, the, yeah, originally that was the original lead accounting summit. We start 15 years ago when you were there, yep. and we just had over the years had so many other people that had management aspects of what their responsibility was that eventually brought in the lean management um, part of it as well. And then we had a separate lean HR summit, but eventually that developed into, it's more than just HR. It's really overall about people development and really that should be more of HR's role in an organization. And there's just a lot of tie-in. We actually, just by circumstance, we had those in one week separate summits a few years ago in Savannah when the hurricane hit so we had to postpone by about a month the event, and just by the opening the venue had, uh, we had to do it all at the same time. So we did, because that's the, that's the opening we had, 
And the feedback we got from it from the, you know, accounting management people was, well, I, I really enjoyed the fact I could go to some of the people development or HR um, sessions and meet those people and learn that. And we got the very same feedback from the HR people was, I love that I was able to meet these people involved in, you know, in accounting or in more management roles and get to listen to those. So we went, let's just keep it together. That seemed to work, we'll keep it together. And then that's what we're doing forward. So um, that's, as we kind of coined the name Leadership Week for it, um, as, we, as we rolled into, into that circumstance. Yeah, and I, I think the last one of those I attended, I remember leading a lean coffee session yeah. um, on, uh, on lean and the board of directors. Um, I remember that. And, and Ori and I ended up turning that into an article, I think for target magazine, if I remember correctly, yep. but um, I, it was a little disappointing in the sense that I think he and I were the only ones in the room that had served on board directors, but uh, it was still an interesting discussion um, in addition to whatever talk I had given in that particular year. But I, I selected for this one, um, uh, an interesting one. Uh, you call it a mini keynote, but it's delivered by you. Uh, um, yeah. I don't know if you call it a mini keynote cause it's smaller or just cause you didn't want to, uh, uh, be self-promoting, um, and, and overstate yourself. Cause I know you're, you're quite humble about your role in the lean community, but your, your topic was advanced lean, which, uh, quite compelling in, in how it sounds. So what do you, uh, what do you intend to talk about with advanced lean? Yeah. The way it, the way it came about was uh, for quite a few years, you know, people would attend and we'd get feedback on um, particularly people that might have a little more maturity, I guess, in their lean journeys on, we'd like to have some um, more topics on some advanced topics, advanced, you know, involved into advanced lean. What's advanced lean. And I, I get back from the summit and I, you know, think about it and I go, um, advanced lean. I, I don't know if I really understood what they meant by that. And the more I thought about it and get the feedback and talk to some people when they bring that up, it made me think back to my own experience, um, you know, just going back 30, 30 years ago, um, as we would develop stuff, in a sense, what would we do to develop what we what we would still call today advanced lean? And what I as I thought it through, what I realized is all we would use, we would use the funda the fundamentals, the fundamentals um, in going to uh, um, problems, into thinking them through, and doing, like I say, doing, and, and a lot of this is in reflection because we didn't articulate it this way 30 years ago, but we just did constant little plan, do, check, act cycles. We'd go through the cycle, you know, figure something out run the experiment, step back, and okay, how'd it go? Did it blow up in our face? What did we learn? Again, not as formal as we do today, but essentially that's what we were doing. And we just keep driving and driving to that till we come to some countermeasure solution or something we thought was adequate for a purpose. Um, so, and that, that early on in accounting, that was things in some um, um, supply chain and internal changes with our organization we had a lot of internal, in a way, supply activities that went on, and we just really used the fundamentals. And we could always come to something we felt was was a a reasonable place to be, you know, quote unquote, from a lean perspective, as best we could. But in reflection, I really thought about is if you just get really um, 
well-versed and well-experienced with the basics of understanding a problem, looking at it, collaboration. A lot of it was collaboration with, at that time, my colleagues. Um, we felt we could resolve any problem. And it wasn't like it was permanently resolved either, but you'd be able to make good steps forward. And a lot of times, by the time you got to that step forward, you would uh, realize that I can already, the horizon I couldn't see a, a couple weeks ago, we can see now. So it already, you'd be in the mode of, okay, we know what the next number of experiments should be. So that's what I wanted to bring into it, is really trying to explain is, what's so important is just to get good at the fundamentals and learning to apply, apply those um, diligently and in collaboration with you know your, your colleagues. And I truly believe you can, again, when I say solve, I don't mean solve because it's always ongoing, but you could come up with solutions and countermeasures that'll take you leaps and bounds ahead. So, and, so that's really what it's about. It's pretty short. I just want to keep it short, kind of to the point um, of, from my perspective and experience, that was advanced lean. That's that's pretty interesting. I I think there's a lot of fields of expertise, if you will, that uh, you know you you start with some fundamentals, you get pretty good at them, you keep looking for more, you uh, expand your your palette, if you will, and then you know at some point you kind of go back to the core. Um, and, and I think Lee is definitely one of those where. Yeah you know, there's the more advanced uh, people actually use fewer tools mm-hmm. <laughs> and fewer methods than uh, some of the folks in the middle of their journey. Yeah. A regular, I guess, um, result of that process when we'd go through it, because sometimes depending on what we were working on, it might be something we'd spend several weeks on. It could be something we spent several months on. But by the time we get to a place where we felt this is an adequate countermeasure for this point in time, we'd sit there and reflect back and we'd go, we really, we felt at that point, this really should have took us a couple hours to figure out why did we spend several weeks or several months figuring it out? But it's just, just those learning cycles you go through that you get back there. And, it, and really that's that residual um, knowledge base that you develop in doing that. So the next time around you do something, you could usually go through it at a quicker pace. Like say you, you increase the magnitude, increase the velocity through that experience. But that would always be the case. I was like, we didn't think about this just a few days ago. It seems so. It seems so obvious now. I, I think it's interesting when there are kind of related topics: advanced lean. Someone will write an article: what's beyond lean? Yeah, lean 4.0, whatever that means. Or you know, I got invited, and I'm happy to have the discussion. I got invited um, participate in a uh, an online virtual panel about talking about you know the future of continuous improvement and. Well, you know, sometimes the future involves going back to basics. Yes. Yeah, I, I think, uh, yeah, we hear about industry 4.0 and a whole bunch of other things. And, and there's still some core things that matter. You can, you can dazzle people with complexity. Um, but, you know, when, when, when it comes down to it, what matters about the process or the problem that you're trying to, to deal with? And, 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 and yeah, the, the problems change and the solutions change, but the way you think about them doesn't, doesn't really, it's, it's, um, you know, thinking about COVID thinking about, uh, uh, any process, any problem we have today fundamentally isn't different than thinking about a problem we had 10 years ago. 
it's a matter of what's the most effective way to explore that particular challenge. Yeah, with that, just like both of you guys know, I, I, I like a lot of industrial history and I've done a lot of study in that, but looking back, even looking back um, to learn lessons on, I guess we'll say lean lessons, is when I, a lot of studying I did even prior to Toyota, the early Ford Motor Company, particularly Highland Park plant, is um, I'd say essentially that was, that was really, you know, essentially that's the model that Toyota tried to emulate, but some of the things they did early on were very much in very much lean activities. Now, certainly they were more primitive and we have more refined now, but that's not because they were necessarily more primitive. It's just, they haven't had the last, you know, hundred years now of us going through learning that we've taken from that to do that. But when I look back at a lot of things they did, decision-making they did, a lot of those elements and attributes are in that in a way they did some of the decision-making and development work. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's amazing how often I come back to, you know, cause and effect. <laughs> You know, that, that fundamental, uh, I've been doing a project with Industry Week uh, magazine called uh, uh, Factory Talk, and we're, we're actually interviewing and highlighting, spotlighting, if you will, uh, factory managers, operations managers, because they don't, you know, they, they don't often get to go to the, the, the Lean Summit that, that you deliver, Jim, because they're so busy uh, running a factory. Um, so we're highlighting them through some video interviews. And and the, the last one I did was, uh, we haven't released any of these yet. It's just a forthcoming project. But I, but I asked him, what's the, the greatest uh, impact tool or method in, he, in your operation? And he said, five whys. Mm-hmm. Uh, just, just getting people into the discipline of understanding root cause uh, has been one of the most impactful things. And that's, you know, I, I remember I used to have conversations around, if you, if you took one lean tool with you to a desert island, what would it be? And my answer would always be five whys. <laughs> um, I don't know if that's the right answer, but it's just, you know, a fundamental discipline of understanding cause and effect. Mm-hmm. And if you can get that right, you know, I, I kind of, my argument was you can reinvent the rest of the stuff. Yeah. Um, Cause they're all just solutions based on understanding cause and effect. Yeah. I mean, you, you could restate that same fundamental as saying, well, okay, you know, the one tool I would take is PDSA or A3, problem solving. Because yeah, I I agree with that thought experiment. If you're starting with problems and needs and you're looking at systems, you would end up creating tools like 5S or Kanban. If you were looking at situations in your organization in in a systematic way. You know, 5S is powerful. I I wrote a blog post a few years ago, you know, in the lean startup community, like Eric Reese and his work, and he's done a lot to popularize the 5Ys. And, you know, I hear people say things like, well, all you have to do is ask why five times. Like, well, that's after you've properly formed a good problem statement and you've understood the current state. And you know, like, there, you know, I mean, there is a little bit more that you need to do, but asking why five times is better than reacting to symptoms. That's for sure. Yeah. No, I, I think I, my, my judgment is always if somebody has a template that has five whys on it, I know that they're not really understanding the core of that, which is understanding cause and effect, right? Because mm-hmm. it's almost never five, right? It's right. four, seven, or three, or... Kind of get how you frame the problem. Yeah. So, so, so I found before my best, sometimes a 500 wise in order to properly <laughs> dig into something. Yeah, absolutely. So um, before we go into the next one, uh, I know Mark is already ready for a second pour, and I guess I am too. I already kind of jumped um, into that. <laughs> So um, 
we're gonna we're gonna jump into our second pour, uh, which is cafe au lait. So as for the viewers, we'll throw yeah. that for the camera. Um, and it's a new bottle for me, so I had finished the last one. I, I, I resisted opening it because I knew I, I probably wouldn't it wouldn't last very long. Smaller bottle, as you can tell from the, the size. Um, Cafe LA is another one of uh, uh, David Meyer's uh, uh, products. Um, and, and this is <clears throat> fun, fundamentally their most popular thing, OCD number five. But they add a uh, heavily toasted barley malt. And, um, you know, first of all, I've, I've, I've tasted or actually, I've, yeah, I have tasted as well as smelled the, the barley malt before it goes into the brew. And that was, that was kind of special opportunity uh, to do that. Um, but boy, it, it really changes the product for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I'm, I'm not drinking this on, on the rocks. Yeah. Um, this is a different color. Uh, this is a different taste. This is a different price point. And this is a different level of, of, of goodness when it comes to bourbon. This, this is my favorite um, of David's, of, of the Glens Creek bourbons. Um, it's, I think you already mentioned earlier, it's the same exact same mash bill as the OCD number five, but the different malt. So the same amount of malt, but a, a more mm-hmm. heavily toasted malt. And last night when I had some friends over, I very intentionally, I set up a side-by-side tasting of OCD number five premium and cafe Ole. The OCD number five is darker in color, mm-hmm. which maybe seems counterintuitive if you've got a darker roasted malt, but it may have also been, I'm pretty sure the OCD number five was in the barrel longer, which is yeah. probably contributing um, to the color. But yeah, that's a, that's one thing I think is interesting about whiskeys is your impression of it by seeing how dark it is, doesn't line up always with how it's going to taste. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think color is a, is a huge, just um, uh, fake out when it comes to, to taste in a lot of ways. And uh, um, yeah, it's, it's nice to enjoy a good color on your whiskey, but don't let that, don't let that convince you whether it's good or not. Yeah. I, I will say this. So when I, when I got a hold of David asking him to send send this to us. And uh, when I told him it was Jamie, you and I were going to get together. He's, that's why I have this. Cause he said, Oh, well, if Jamie's coming, I have to send a bottle of this. Cause he said, he said, this was Jamie's favorite. So yeah. again, I, this actually, I haven't, I haven't tried it till just now. I just opened it today, kept it closed. But again, this is uh, waiting for well, both of you. It's both your favorites waiting for you guys. Whenever you come to visit. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, covered. <laughs> it is. Yeah, it's definitely my favorite. Like I said, I think OCD would be my everyday drinker. Um, but I, you know, partly because of the bottle size um, and partly just to savor it, I, I don't drink it often. Um, you know, just for, you know, me- measurements are easy and anybody can look that up. But this is, you know, this yeah. is how much you get of each one. Um, but it, it is a special taste. It is it is different. Um I don't think there's anything else I have on my shelf that tastes quite like this. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I, I, I really do save this as I hadn't opened this bottle yet. Um, I was probably reluctant to, cause I was, I, I, I like saving it. I, I, I can't kind of, I don't say can't wait. Cause obviously I do save it, but, um, 
really want to make sure I'm in a mood to sip and enjoy and taste and not just drink um, when I'm opening up Cafe Olay. Yeah, this, so this is one that this is one I, I open up for friends who I know appreciate whiskey, and they want to try something unique. This is this is definitely one I'll say. Here, I, I bet you've. Well, I, I can say quite certainly you've never had this one before. Let me share it with you. And right. that's one. That's one thing I enjoy about um, about whiskey. And you know, in this day and age, we can't do quite as much of this. We had a small gathering. We sat outside and you know uh, try to be reasonable about it, but. It's good connecting via Zoom. It's it's especially precious these days to to connect with friends in person, share some whiskey and catch up. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, this is this is not something I would give to a first time bourbon drinker. That's for sure. But um, for someone who's tried a bunch of things and is looking for something special, uh, this is this is definitely worth worth giving a shot. Um, very different. Uh, very rich. Um, not, you know, it's not just heat, right? It's not just, you know, heavy on alcohol, heavy on wood. It's, it's, it's the, you, you can tell this is the grain that makes this special. Mm-hmm. Um, it has and, a unique aroma with it, aroma with it as well. Absolutely. Yeah. It, 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 you know, they talk about, I think coffee tastes, um, on their website and, and you definitely get, get some of that, uh, uh for sure. Um, it's not sweeter though. It's not, you know, it's not a sweeter, I talk about coffee and chocolate, but it's not a sweeter, uh, bourbon, uh, but it's, it's rich in so many ways. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a high corn. I remember from the notes I'd put together for last night, it's something like 86% corn, which is pretty high. Yeah. But it's not super sweet, like some really high percentage corn whiskeys. Right. No, oh, yeah, it's not not just a uh, so, uh, soda as disguised as a as, as liquor. It's yeah. it's um, it, it's bourbon, but 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 absolutely crafted and definitely and, good unique Kentucky bourbon. Mm-hmm. Yep, and I know you know I, I know some of this is uh, um, this will be kind of interesting to see what you guys have in your uh, bottles, but. I know this is mostly about the shape of the bottle, but in most of them, the bottle number and the batch number is on the side, but the, the, these are right on the front, right? Um, so this is barrel number four. So this is only the fourth barrel of this wow. that he's, he's done. Mine's, um, barrel, so. mine, mine's barrel two. I finished, I had a bottle from barrel one, and that is uh, dearly departed. But I did get to compare... You know that you know it's the beauty of some. It's a single barrel whiskey. There's bound to be yeah. variation, and I would argue that variation is not always bad. Right. You know that's part of the uniqueness of the, of the single barrel. So you know the the reason we all know David Meyer is that he is um, uh, he is a lean guy, and he's absolutely applying lean to his whiskey. Um, you know, he's, he's former Toyota as a, as a group manager, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, lean consultant, uh, co-author of the Toyota way field book, uh, uh, that, uh, and, and I would argue just to be blunt, uh, the author of the Toyota way field book, even though Jeff Liker's name is on it as well. Um, 
So and, he's a lean and, guy. And the book Toyota Talent. And the book Toyota Talent. That explains um, people to TWI because he discusses TWI and Toyota Talent. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Right. So he he knows the fundamentals to your po- to your point about your your talk. He he knows the fundamentals. Um, he's coached them. He's applied them at Toyota. He's he teaches. He's taught them as a consultant, and he's applying them at his at his distillery. Um, and so I don't know if this is the first time since he started his distillery. He's just he's come back to teach and talk about lean uh, and, and as a speaker. Uh, but it's got to be one of the few opportunities because he's he's really focused on his distillery. But um, yeah, he was he was going to come and speak at Barcelona, your TWI uh, Europe Summit. Um, but he is planning on uh, doing that in next year in the U.S. Yeah. as well as in Europe. Um, and, and so uh, you know, why don't you tell us? You know. I don't know if how many bottles will bring with him, if any, but uh, <laughs> what, what, what is what is he going to talk about at, at, at a TWI summit was a bourbon guy. Yeah, bring, I'm telling him, bring me some of the ex- experimental bottles again. But yeah. No, yeah, we we're going to we're going to have David at the at uh, Barcelona, but as you said, it, it's got canceled. We're we are going to we are going to do this fall with him a master class for the Europeans, virtual master class. We're going to do a theme for the Europeans um, this summer. More details coming on that. We're working on it right now. But as you said, we're going to have him speak at the TWI Summit this next March. Um, and then also have him back to Europe um, next year in June, our usual time as well, um, just so people can have him there face, seen face-to-face. But what he's going to talk about is uh, – and actually he did speak at TWI five years ago, but he had just started with the distillery, still really just trying to get it kind of going. So he talked about other subjects. So this will be the first time he's going to actually talk about things around the distillery. So what I, what, I, what he's going to talk about him, this is something him and I have talked on and off on for a number of years, but it's around on um, how do you develop standard work where there really isn't standard work? So certainly him going through a, a, start, a, a, a company startup, as well as with the ramp up and from, you know, what are discussions I've had with him with the whiskey processing? I mean, certainly there's, there's standard things you do with the whiskey processing, but he said on the daily stuff, you're not always doing the same thing because there's multiple things going on at once, but there's certainly standard patterns of behavior to do. Um, even though you don't do them always in the same sequence and there's going to be modifications. So certainly has, that aspect from the distillery and his startup and running the production with that. And even talk, he's going to go back, reach back to some things from even his Toyota experience where there are attributes of those types of patterns, but really around that. Um, how do you, how do you develop standards or practice standards in an unstand in a non-standard environment? And him and I, like I said, talked about that a number of years ago. There's another fellow, Oscar Roche. You guys know him, him and I had, had that discussion because he had asked me years ago on around process development. And I said, well, he said, he wanted me to describe it to him. And I said, well, I, I can and I can't because it's that type of thing. There's very much things, we'll say process, we would absolutely do, but it was unique every time we went through the process. And it relates back, even though I was talking about that advanced lean thing, it's really about applying these practices um, 
And this is what David's going to go through and talk about where you have these practices, but it isn't always the same standard pattern at a maybe a more uh, uh, higher level, but maybe some more at the micro levels. And you just got to step into the circumstance back to the plan, do check act and evaluate the circumstance and then make your judgment on that and then apply maybe a standard in that kind of non-standard way. That's more simpler than what it is, but that's what he's going to um, talk about. And I'm looking forward to it because even, a, even there's a, even a lot of people that with some good lean experience, but aren't always experienced in, I guess, that aspect and need in their organizations. Well, what's interesting is, you know, he's, most people think about standard work as it applies to, for lack of a better word, controlling other people and their work. Yeah. And, and, and Glenn's Clinker's distillery, most of the work is done by two people, <laughs> David and one other. And, 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 you know, they do a lot of the crafting, if you will, um, of, of the, of the, of the brews. So, um, you know, when you, when you understand standard work as something beyond just controlling other people and how they do their work uh, versus how you do your work, it becomes quite different. And, and I think that his, you know, going from a thousands of people factory to, of course, consulting to now what, what's fundamentally a two-person factory uh, and, and still having the same fundamental beliefs and, and fundamental practices, I think is a great sort of trajectory to learn the, the benefit of that, of those, of those keys. Yeah. And, and, you know, David, I think is case in point with what he's doing. He's being an improvement scientist, if you will, as it's sometimes called in healthcare. He is not putting out barrels, yet alone bottles at attack time of 60 seconds. And, you know, for anyone who would say, you know, what we do, that's not cars. Whiskey is not cars. And, you know, David is uh, adapting his past experiences and showing what's, what's transferable, you know, wh- whether it comes to building and improving upon his own stills or, you know, improving upon the whiskey over time and trying new things and seeing what works. I, I really appreciate that. Yeah, one thing, one thing, you know, it, takes me back to is uh, if in Mike Rother's Toyota Kata book, first one, a particular diagram he had in there, he has different variations of it, but in the original book, it had just, it's kind of this oval on one end was your current condition. The other end was a target condition. And what I always liked that he labeled the, the middle larger oval as unclear territory. Yeah. And you make your way through that. And to me that really, because it illustrated things I'd gone through in my past, but really illustrates this is you don't know, you know, kind of know where you want to get to. You don't know exactly how to get there. But each of those little iterative cycles, there's certainly standard th- behavioral patterns built into those that allow you to traverse that unclear territory and get successfully to where you want to get to. And again, another benefit of that is all that learning that you bring along with you as you go through that process. Yeah, and, and it's, you know, for my actual in-person visit to, to David's distillery, you know, he certainly got to share a lot of his understanding of cause and effect, right? Um, what he's learned through his trajectory and what some of his experiments are. And so that's why I think, well, each, each um, 
brand or sub-brand or bottle has its own uh, intention, uh, I, I think it's really interesting the idea of comparing barrel to barrel because he's not, not only is he experimenting, but he's then coming out of that with new standards for how how things are done, and and essentially for what is what is basically in, intended to be a craft, he's turned it into a science. And I don't mean a mathematical formula science, but in terms of understanding what it takes to make a good barrel. And and I think good, you know, the very best craftsmen, well, let me say, very good craftsmen understand that, right? They, they understand there's a, there's a, a set of conditions, there's a, 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 a science behind it, whether they use it in scientific terms or not. The very best learn it in a way that they can teach it. And, and that's why I think his connection to TWI is so interesting. Yes. For sure. I've worked with companies that have, uh, um, from that, that sort of, you know, craftsman versus science standpoint, I've always argued that, that crafting is often science we don't understand yet. <laughs> now, now, true true art might be just art, right? But but there's no question that, you know, something like bourbon is, there, there's, there's chemical reactions, right? There's taste buds, there's proteins, there's, there's uh, enzymes, there's all sorts of stuff that's there that's science that we just don't understand what it, everything that it takes to make something great and consistent. Um, so I even worked with one client that had a process that it considered a craft. It had done it for a hundred years and, uh, you know, it, 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 it had a hundred variables, hundred knobs, hundred dials, right? all these things that somebody could control. And it took years and years to learn how to manage it. And they just decided we're going to understand what really matters of those hundred knobs that we can turn, which ones matter. And they, they pursued a pathway of, of, of science of understanding cause and effect. And, uh, in the end, they, they sort of locked out 80% of the variables, um, figured out which 20 mattered, uh, developed a baseline standard, but then still allowed, you know, the, the craftsmen to kind of adjust based on what they knew was working in that particular time. And, and it's, it's, it's had a measurable impact on, on outcomes, both in terms of quality and output um, of going beyond uh beyond the basics to truly understand your craft, right? Because I think that's the pursuit, right? The, the understanding of your work. That's why we talk, call it a team of scientists is, do you understand your work and why it produces the results that it does? Yeah, that's a really good point about the craftsman. He's really, really somebody that has absorbed in all those data points in a sense and understands the patterns, the different patterns that when they see certain, observe certain things, they kind of know what patterns are going to come out of that. Or if they make certain adjustments, essentially based on data that they've absorbed, they'll know how to make those adjustments accordingly to meet whatever their objective is. Yeah, and, and I've done, um, I don't talk about this a lot, but I, I've done a lot of angel investing over the last uh, 15 years probably. And, um, you know, I have some rules. I, I have some rules that I've determined uh, based on trying to understand what matters and every time I violate my own rules, which I sometimes do, uh, uh, I pay for it. And every time I 
follow them and then sort of track the outcome of it, I, I realized those rules were pretty good. Um, and, and again, it's an, it's an instinctive, it's so it's somewhat instinctive process of making an investment decision. But, uh, uh, but the pursuit of getting better at is understanding cause and effect, right? Understanding what are the variables that really matter. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's, let's, uh, I think we've talked about three different summits, uh, that you have Jim, uh, probably a good time to, to wrap up here. Um, and as, as tradition on, you know, we have a lot of traditions on lean whiskey other than the fact that whiskey's involved. Um, we always like to end with a little, a little, a little bit of uh, a lightheartedness and fun. Um, so uh, I, I, I thought an interesting question was, uh, you know, a lot of us have been doing a lot more working from home or, or working differently, at least over the past several months. Um, I know for me, I've technically worked from home for 20 years. Um, just, it's just been one or two days a month, uh, since I'm usually at a Marriott or a Delta, uh, Sky Club or a client. Um, so kind of curious, what's the, what's the best improvement that you've made or the best experience you've had, uh, while, while working from home from your home office? So Mark, why don't you, why don't you kick us off with that one? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm setting up, um, in the office in new home in California and got MacBook pro, a docking station, a monitor speakers, handful of things. And um, the, the condo has a built-in glass desk. So I'm sitting at the desk and I'm looking down and my, all the cord, the power cords and the cables. Like I've never been so inspired to say, I need to neaten that up. So a combination of one of these flexible tube channel systems. So now there's one white tube snaking up under the desk instead of all these random cords. And then the, the, the cables, the USB for the microphone and everything that's behind the monitor. I, I took a bunch of zip ties and got those all tied up and bundled up. And so they're hidden behind the monitor. And because I'm using this home office desk a lot more than I would in normal times, I'm like, I want to hide that clutter. So that was my improvement. That that mattered to me. Is my business going to perform quantitatively better as a result? No, but I think there's something to be said. You know, Joe Schwartz, local to Jim in Indianapolis, um, you know, would emphasize in his health system. Sometimes you let people do a Kaizen because they want to do a Kaizen. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's a good phrase. That's... Um... Sometimes following people's passions, you know, it won't always produce a performance result, but, you know, three out of four times it will. So, you know, why not? Let, and and, and the, risk of, the risk of saying, no, that's not aligned to true north is that they say, okay, fine, I'm done. I'm done improving. Yeah. It's, yeah. Not, it's not unreasonable human behavior to get turned off when you say, I've got an idea, I'm excited about it, I'll make my life a little bit better, and you're told no. Yeah. That's why and, they... They avoid saying no. And to your own desk, right? I mean, our, our work environment does impact our performance. It, it, it does. You may not be able to measure it, uh, how much that that has helped, but our, our, our work environment affects your performance. So make it make no. it work for you. Now, so th that other one was a very, that was all very inexpensive Kaizen. I am sort of tempted to maybe 
buy a new MacBook Pro, but that would completely throw off the cabling because it's different connectors and different. So I'm like, well, maybe I'm locked into this MacBook Pro for another six months or something at least. It's good. That's good for the bottom line of my business. That is good for the bottom line. Yeah, we don't always need to spend the capital just to make our work better. (laughs) What about you, Jim? Yeah, you and you kind of uh, kind of mentioned that you'd asked, and I, I literally I thought, oh yikes, because um, during the during the shutdown, I kept coming, <laughs> I kept coming in. I didn't I didn't work from home anymore than I did, but our 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 team here worked from home, so nobody was here, and I'm I'm not that far away, you know, easy twenty minute drive on the interstate, so I just kept coming in. I guess maybe my story with it was I thought, well, good, I'm going to be able to go in. I'll be I was in here by myself for three and a half months. I'll be by myself, you know, I, it'll help me be able to get some research and reading and writing done because I'll be in myself. And lo and behold, I did some of that, but really not a whole lot more than I usually do just because other things in the business came up and our transitions and all that. So uh, Mike, from some standpoint, I, it was nice to be in here, um, somewhat undisturbed on my own, uh, which is different obviously than the norm. Um, I wouldn't, didn't, get quite the things done that I was intending I thought I would get done. But that's okay. It was things associated with the business I needed to do. So, you know, things still got done. Yeah. Good. Well, well, for, for me, um, you know, for those that are on video, they're watching this on YouTube, you might notice my, my wine cellar is right there in my office. But that's, that's always been there. So that's, that's not a new thing. Um, but uh, uh for those that have meetings with me, you'll notice different settings. Um, I, I, you know, I, I enjoy standing while working um, and having a stand-up desk. And for many people that do that, they have an adjustable desk. Um, but, but unfortunately, or fortunately, I guess my my sit-down desk is my grandfather's desk, and it's it's old and beat up, but it's my grandfather's desk, and so I I, I like to use it. And my stand-up desk is my great grandfather's toolbox converted into a stand-up desk. Nice. And, and so, you know, I, 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 I can't get rid of those. Those are, those are too important, but it was a big deal to move back and forth. Right. So I, I kind of fully facilitized with, with the webcams and the laptops and everything else I need. So I could kind of move back and forth between sit down and stand up. And, uh, there's an awful lot of days where I have continuous meetings, uh, with, with clients and, and, and I'll just, I'll do one meeting from sit down, which is where I am now. And one meeting from stand up and one meeting to sit down and bounce back and forth. And it, it's made a, made a huge difference. Um, and, and then, uh, you know, the other thing I'll add is that my, our, our, our homes construction, uh, uh, contractor was quite frankly, not the best. And, and, um, the doors I had in my office that lead to the outside were, were very, very poor. They weren't square. Water would come in in the rain and worms would come in and bugs and all sorts of things. And so I just had, just had those replaced, uh, which includes the ability to open up to the outdoor with screens. And um, it's, it's a small thing to have a, have a door, but um, boy, it's, it's changed my, since I spent so much time in my office, it's, it's changed things quite a bit. So I, I've been, I've been truly blessed to have the office that I have. Um, you know, I've never, I've kind of taken it for granted because I'm only here once in a while, but being here every day for, for weeks on end uh, 
really, really feel glad to have the, the setup that I do. I'm, I'm, I'm very fortunate in that, in that matter. So, so it sounds like you have, you now have the options without the varmints and weather. Yeah, it, it, we had storms all day today. So, uh, you know, uh, opening the door would involve rain coming in my, in my office again, yeah. but <laughs> at least I could control it this time yeah. as opposed to other days. <laughs> Well, I guess that brings us to the uh, the end of our episode. At the end of my whiskey. Oh boy, that's that's worse. I'm, I uh, there's always opp- opportunity to pour again. I'm sure your bottle's not done. No, correct. Yes. <laughs> I'm 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 not um, at zero inventory. No. 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 That's just just in time with whiskey is. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, Way too close to call. Yeah, no, not the way to go. No, not the way to go. It's, it's always worse than just in time, and I, I may have overdone that uh, lately. But um, uh, but I'm not I'm not going to complain about it at all. Yeah. Well, gentlemen, I certainly thank you very much for allowing me to be a part of this. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Thanks. Thanks for being part of it, Jim. And I want to thank everybody as always for listening or. Uh, watching. Um, if this is your first time tuning in, let's say you're a friend of Jim and you learned about the podcast uh, from him. This is episode 17 of a series. You can find all of those at leanwhiskey.com, regardless of how you like to spell whiskey, K-E-Y or K-Y at the end. It goes to the same place. You can also go to Jamie's website if you prefer. Yeah. So you can also go to jflinch.com slash leanwhiskey. Um, and uh, and you can find Jim. Uh, what's your website, Jim? How do they find you? Leanfrontiers.com. And once uh, once you get this released, we'll, we'll get let everybody know about it as well. Well, thanks. Thanks for doing that. And welcome to uh, friends of Lean Frontiers who may have tuned in and may have stuck around um, to the end. So if you would like to subscribe, you can do so. You can find us through Apple Podcasts. Spotify, uh, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, pretty much any place that you normally might find and subscribe to podcasts. And please do, uh, please do rate us, please review us, uh, give us feedback, uh, subscribe to us. Um, You're not only helping us um, in terms of making this better, but you're helping others find the podcast and and, uh, we we really do enjoy sharing with others. So uh, those that rate review and subscribe really does really just help. So please, please help us out in that way. One other splash in my glass to end on. Excellent. So I guess that brings us to the end and uh, cheers. Virtual Cheers. cheers.